This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello. Welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast, a weekly podcast aimed at bridging the communication gaps on climate issues in Africa. I'm your host, Sophie Mbongwa. We have been building the momentum to COP26, the annual UN climate change meeting expected to take place in two weeks' time. That is between the 31st of October and 12th November in Glasgow, Scotland. Now, today we are talking to Mr. Gabriel Jember from the Global Green Growth Institute and a former least developed country chair on nationally determined contributions and the Paris Agreement Goal. Mr. Jember, thank you so much for finding time. Welcome to the show. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sophie. Um, my name is Gabriel Jember. I'm working for Global Green Growth Institute, uh, African office. And uh, I'm lead for MRV and climate diplomacy. Uh, and I have been in this climate diplomacy for the last 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been chairing the LDC group of negotiators in 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. And currently I'm working with the LDC group coordinating Article 6 and other issues. That is fantastic. Uh, when it comes to elaborating issues of, of Article 6, which will be very pertinent in COP26, I'm sure we can have that conversation and can come back and explain to the audience what it's all about, right? Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, so um, I wanted us to talk about the Paris goal uh, this week and um, also expound more on the NDCs. And last week, we actually had Kamar on board and you know, we ended the conversation when he was talking about the Paris goal and the Paris agreement, you know, the, the goal aims you know, to just clarify that it aims to limit the global warming below two degrees and preferably to 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial level. What Kamar alluded was that all countries basically have made commitments um, to achieve this particular Paris temperature goal. This includes developing countries. And we know very well that um, countries, especially, let's if we talk about the, the entire of African continent, um, the continent is not even contributing 4% of the global emissions compared to G20 countries that are already responsible for 80% of the global emissions. So does it mean, because we as African countries have also committed to and, and have majority of African countries have already submitted their NDCs and we are already seeing a lot of African countries resubmitting their NDCs and stuff. Um, have we as African nations responsible for very little emissions and not responsible for historical um, emissions? Have we accepted to actually take um, responsibility in terms of reducing the emissions, including the historical emissions, should we probably um, say we will actually reduce um, the global warming to two degrees Celsius minus the historical emissions or 1.5 degrees minus the historical emissions? Well, thank you. Thank you, Sophie. I mean, like, just if I give you a background why we came up with the Paris goal, I mean, you know, uh, the negotiation uh, started based on the... Uh, Back in 1970s, where the, the World Meteorological Organization published a report on the accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So based on that recommendation, the, the need for having a scientific body which will follow and give recommendations so that any kind of action needs to be guided by 
evidence was agreed. That's the reason why Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, has been established. And following that, I mean, like the need for having a body which coordinates uh, parties to really address the issue has been agreed and UNFCCC, United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change has been established. So following that, you know, subsequent reports were showing that the accumulation, you know, initially it was not clear whether it's man-made or is it natural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So subsequent reports make it clear that the man-made contribution is very significant. So there needs to be action on the ground. Then where should we start? Okay, the bigger emitter countries, which are historically responsible for all the accumulation, needs to take action. Then parties like the uh, those who took commitment on Kyoto Protocol has been agreed, and they were they, they agreed like most of the developed countries have been part of it for Kyoto Protocol to reduce their emission by five percent from the 1990 baseline. So they set a baseline, 1990. And uh, first commitment from 2008 to 2012, second commitment from 2013 to 20. So five and nearly 8% respectively, but it may slightly vary from country to country. So this commitment, when we look at it, you know, it is not bringing really significant impacts. Because as there are other parties which may not be responsible historically because their economy grow in the recent decades. And if you look at Africa, the Africa's emission is very minimal. Sure. But if we want to have a solution, that's why, you know, uh, then we moved to uh, from Kyoto in Copenhagen to agree for having a common goal. And we couldn't succeed in Copenhagen. Then, through process in Paris, we agreed to have uh, a, a temperature goal that you have mentioned to, if preferable, 1.5 degrees Celsius. And to achieve that, if we continue in a business as usual, only developed countries, so called developed countries, which are historically responsible to act, then will not, you know, if you look aggregate all of them, then it's less than 50%. So there are other big emitters currently on board. And if Africa is, if Africa is to grow, and if Africa grows in a business as usual way, then we will be, why not? We, will, we, we may go to be the bigger emitter countries, you know? Mm-hmm. So with all this, you know, it's not where we were and where we are. And it's also where we, we are going to be because our economies need to grow. We need to feed our people. So we need to have technologies. With yeah. all this, considering the past and the future, everybody needs to be on board. That's why we agree that, you know, countries need, you know, a kind of bottom-up approach, you know. Yeah. That's where the nationally determined contribution has been initiated. Okay. The best option could have been, you know, put a criteria, and to reach to 1.5, imagine 1.5 is not really uh, the best option, but the world, is, the world is very late. We are at an increase of nearly 1.1 degrees Celsius at this mm. point in time. Yeah. So we need to go back 
But that cannot happen because the accumulation of greenhouse gases uh, stay for nearly 50, 60 years in the atmosphere. Even if we shut down all the emissions right now, the impact will continue. That means uh, it's not an easy task. So let's have 1.5. After yeah. 2050, of course, we may need to go to negative emission. Then we will try. So it's a long time investment. So for mm -hmm. that, you know, with putting a criteria, then current capability, historical responsibility, with all this, uh, if you just do top-down share of responsibility, it could have been more easier. But it's not easy. Countries are not ready to accept that approach. Yeah. So the best way could be, okay, let's all be leaders and let's have a commitment. Let's communicate what we believe we can do. That's where the national determined contributions was introduced and agreed in Paris. So yeah. if you remember, prior to Paris, parties were invited to submit their intended national determined contribution. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it was aggregated in Paris, uh, forget 1.5, I mean 2, even it will take us to afford the researchers because yeah. it's very minimal. Because when parts are asked, of course, they provide the minimum. There are different factors for it. Because you see, there is comparativity between parties, especially the bigger ones, you know. One is waiting for the other, kind of, you know. So it's not pure science, to be honest. It, it has politics in it and economics as well. Yeah. So with all these combinations, you know, uh, it's a bit challenging, but uh, now almost every country has an NDC. So in Paris, parties were requested not to backslide. So the first complicated NDC could be a baseline, no? So that yeah. parties are expected to be forward-looking and to come up with a revised NDC, which will take us to reach to 1.5 degree goal. So this was how NDC has been uh, initiated. And as you can see now, the UK presidency has been really uh, advocating for parties to uh, resubmit their revised NDC uh, to be an ambitious one. And there are encouraging results from some parties, but still more work needs to be done. So that's why Africa needs to be a leader. We, sh we should not wait for others leading the process. And we need to have, we need to have, you know, we need to have latest technology. For instance, we should not be damped for the, you know, uh, outdated technologies, which yeah. are not environmental friendly. So we need to adjust ourselves, and we need to mainstream uh, climate into our development plans. So for us, it's a win-win. We achieve development, and at the same time, we make it green and climate smart. But yeah. for developed world they are doing regreening, you know. For us, it is oh, we are going to green it from the beginning because the level of development is at the lower stage in most parts of Africa. So yeah. this is how the NDC has been initiated. Okay, okay. And and I think it's important to also remember in terms of um we cannot uh develop as business as usual, whereby using all the fossil fuel and you know in that way the developed countries did. 
Um, but then again, also looking into the fact that Africa, as much as is the least emitter, is one of the continents that is more susceptible um, to climate impacts. And already we are talking about keeping the global warming below two degrees or at 1.5 degrees. But then um, already the globe has warmed at 1.1, but then again, majority of African continent areas, different areas, depending on where you are, the areas that have warmed close to the uh, upper target of the Paris Agreement, considering that Africa warms higher than the entire globe. But what I'm wondering is, um, NDCs, and I have a question that came through from Mike, and he's asking, um, are countries legally bound you know, by the commitments they make and he's also wondering, if a country doesn't want to submit an NDC, what happens to it? Well, uh, I think if a, party, a country is a party to the Paris Agreement, mm-hmm. it's a requirement. So a country needs to submit. I don't have detailed information on the legal implication, but yeah. if you are a party to a, any agreement or protocol, you need to comply with that. But uh, otherwise, you will not be... You know, it's, it's going to have implications. Uh, in, the, in the near future, you will see... It will have implications in trade, whatever. So because, you know, uh, green tagging may start, you know. So if you look at in the long run, I think uh, it will have implications. Plus, if you want to access climate finance, you need to be part of the uh, Paris Agreement and you need to have NDCs as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you can see, most of the climate finance, you know, the ODA have finance is shifted to climate, you know. So... Yeah. Uh, so parties uh, may be obliged to, uh, if you, they want to access uh, that finance as well. Even loans, if you look at uh, World Bank and others, uh, big donor, big uh, financiers, they are trying to mainstream climate into their business. Mm-hmm. That means you need to have a plan, even the mm-hmm. Net Zero 2050 plan, NDC, mm-hmm. in place for for you to access global and bilateral finance. So. I think there's no way out at this point in time. Interesting. They're very interesting. So we're going actually to circle back at finance later on. But I think I wanted to just for uh, for now just well and and explain basically the national um determined contributions are countries' plans by which they will actually reduce their domestic emissions and they are submitted to the UNFCCC. But I'm actually wondering why is 2030 very important to be able to achieve the Paris Agreement goal the net zero by 2050? Well, uh, as I have mentioned at the beginning, uh, we are very late in terms of yeah. action. Mm-hmm. The early picking could have been the best way because mm-hmm. countries need to pick early and then uh, go downwards reducing their emissions. So what has been recommended by IPCC was to pick by 2020, mm. then to go down from there onwards. But we are very late. Then what if, if we if peak reaches uh, by 2030, whatever, or even before, and then we reduce our emission? It's not really something which, you know, we, we stick to. Even if you look at some countries have given five-year have given 10 years NDC. The short term could have been the best way because if you have like five-year plan, you assess your progress, you revise, you resubmit. But if it's longer, you know, you will not have really a means to check whether where you are moving in the right direction or not. So for the world to know what the aggregate impact of action on the ground, 
through subsequent communications by parties. So for that to happen, the short-term five, five plus five kind of cycle could have been the best way. But some parts, you know, or group of parts have put already legislation for 2030. So they stick to their position. But as far as parties are flexible, uh, I mean, progressive, uh, the time will not matter. The only challenge is, you know, unless we have an agreed time frame, uh, it will be difficult to aggregate and see the impact. So uh, that five plus five or ten is going to be agreed in the coming COP. But otherwise, I think, and the 2050 is like, you know, this is the kind of uh, trajectory. Can we reach net, net zero by 2050? It's based on science, you know. Again, earlier than 2050 could have been better, but with the current way of doing things, it could be difficult. But still, the uh, encouraging thing is like technology is improving fast. Like the renewables have been becoming, you know, accessible, uh, cheaper and more efficient. If this kind of things is happening across sectors, then we may be able to comply easily and may not wait the 2050. But with the current practice, because there are uh, issues which are out of our control, which we can't really prejudge. Uh, so, but I believe things will move faster in the coming years. And you see electric cars now, even in Africa as well, different parts of the world is dominating now. And yeah. uh, global energies and so on. So with all this, uh, it's encouraging. There, there is hope that we may, need, we may not go to 2050. So uh, this is the logic behind why we have been really uh, looking for years. But uh, I think during this scope, we'll have a clear direction. Yeah. There's a process under the UNFPC in terms of monitoring how we are making progress. Uh, please walk us through that. Well, uh, like, you know, parties are, are required to communicate kind of uh, undertaking a regular situation analysis in terms of the addressing the vulnerability and emission reduction and so on through their uh, formal communication channel called national communications. Mm -hmm. And after Paris, of course, the frequency of reporting is uh, getting more and more. Like if you look at most African countries were required to submit at least once every four years, but now it becomes annual. Even annually, we may need to really collect all this kind of information. So for that, I think a robust uh, measurement reporting and a verification system needs to be established. Mm. Through that process, we follow, we really trace where the country is in terms of implementing its embassy, mm. uh, tracing the emission level. So that helps to comply with the uh, international requirements in terms of reporting. And at the same time, it will guide you, shows you where the country is and are we in the right direction or not, so that we can adjust our plan based on the, re the report which we are getting on a regular basis. So for that, a robust MRB and MNE framework is to be there, which can generate data in a business unusual way, because the business as usual is, you know, you hire consultants and do it and so on. Then, there is no institutional memory and there is no ownership by the government institutions. But now what's required is both horizontally across different layers of administration and uh, sectors and vertically at different levels of administration. 
there needs to be data generated. Then you set baseline, set target, and you communicate. So for that, you need to establish a system. You can't do that on a doc basis. Yeah. yeah. So that is a kind of uh, an assignment for most of us. Yeah. Last month, um, I think, yeah, in September, there was a report that was released by Climate Action Tracker, and it showed that majority of government's targets and actions remained highly or critically insufficient. Um, would you please explain to us where we are in terms of NDC submissions? Yeah, at the Climate Action Tracker, you know, it's not covering all countries, but it traces where countries are, and they do color coding. Mm. So... Uh, if you look at really those who are in the right direction to go to 1.5 are very few countries. Sure. Uh, so that means the, uh, still, I mean, like so a few parts have been showing uh, some leadership role by moving in the right direction, increasing their ambition. If I give you my country, we revised twice. Indeed, we submitted in December, we're a very ambitious NDC, and we feel that still we can do more. So we adjusted and we resubmitted uh, two months ago. So now, uh, if you look at Ethiopia, it's uh, in the right direction to move to 1.5. So uh, parties will, I believe, will follow a similar approach. But the challenge is whatever we do, uh, big, big meters need to take more action. So as an aggregate, whatever Africa is doing, uh, if you want to see an impact on the atmosphere, the bigger emitters needs to be in the right direction. But uh, that's that's the key message which we are really looking for the, for parties to really inform us during the COP and in between the COP. Mm. And, and that is one of the things. The one of the things that developed countries need to do is providing finance and the means of basically the means of implementation. That from the technology to finance. And when you look into African countries, the NDCs requires about three trillion dollars uh, by 2030. How do we finance our NDCs? Yeah, first of all, our key ask for the uh, developed countries is. First thing, they need to reduce their emission. They need to be in the right track. Mm. Uh, if they are not really reducing their emission, even if you go to the resource, still, whatever you implement on the ground, it will be affected by like the flood which occurs in Kenya a year ago. You know, mm. whatever you invest, it will be, you know, demolished within one night. So more action in towards reducing emission. Uh, and then ambition on action and finance. So uh, that's really critical. And uh, of course, uh, and that finance needs to be new and additional. But now what we are observing is they are shifting the, their ODA into climate finance. So we have been asking for new ambitious uh, climate finance. And, but uh, you don't see that ma happening. But I mean, like, uh, it's NDCs are to be implemented either from domestic treasury, bilateral, and multilateral financial sources. So using all these windows. Uh, so if you can't you quantify how much your government has been investing on the ground, which is by far higher than the, the amount of resources obtained from GCF or whatever. So. But we, we need to know where we are in terms of investment as well. Sometimes, you know, we don't know what we are doing. But mm. a lot has been invested by the government. 
private sector as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, we need to know, like if I give you an example, uh, we were revising our uh, climate risk and green economy strategy, which was launched in 2011. We have been implementing a lot of things for the last nine years. Since we were not having a very good tracking system, we don't know what we are doing, what impact we generate, how much has been invested. So when we do this midterm assessment, a lot has been done from government treasury than the bilateral and multilateral source. So if we are going to really do things in a business unusual way by the government investing a lot and uh, struggling to access finance from GCF and other financial sources, which is very bureaucratic and a very slow process, then I don't think that will achieve the NDC. Mm. That's why we are to make the system accessible uh, and an ambitious finance, uh, which countries need to really be actively engaging on the ground. So, uh, so we need to link. We need to trace how we how we are spending, and we need to know also. Uh, we need to get also more finance as well. Yeah. Mm, mm. So let me get this clearly because we had um, a lapse in. Um, in the communication, so there were some bits I couldn't hear you very clearly. I just want to uh, see whether I've got what you're uh, you, you mentioning. So what you're saying is that we need to monitor in terms of countries internally, needs to monitor how they are actually spending money on the implementation of the NDC. And, and I'm actually what I saw in many NDCs is basically they reduce emissions in terms of different sectors, like in terms of forestry, in terms of um, agriculture, probably moving into climate smart agriculture, um, oceans, basically in terms of ensuring that the macro and different ecosystems are taken, you know, are used actually in terms of reducing the, the, the emissions of the countries where different sectors will actually help in terms of the country's commitment. So you're seeing in terms of countries individually tracking how they are spending money in these different sectors for them to be able to achieve their own NDCs. And you're saying in addition to that, we need new and additional finance that is specifically for or goes to NDCs or new and additional uh, general climate finance that actually a pool of money that countries can actually probably apply to or probably can actually be able to go to if they need money to implement their domestic uh, commitments. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. And so ideally, um, when it comes to the COP, one of the things that have been so much, you know, push and pull uh, has been finance. Do you think that developed countries have the political will uh, to provide not just finance, but also to reduce their own emissions. And are they moving towards the direction that they actually supposed to be taking the lead? African countries have committed, they've made commitment even in different areas when it comes to um, renewables. And we've seen a lot of renewables coming um, into the country, different technologies, electric vehicles, and different other things. But then do you think, do you feel like uh, developed countries who are much responsible for the emissions, are they doing enough? I, I don't think that they are doing enough. Mm. That's why, you know, that's why I was saying that we should not be really, you know, cheated like in a way that we got finance at all. No, our key ask is, you know, they need to reduce their emission mm-hmm. and provide finance for us because it's not only to reduce our emission, it's, only, it's also for us to adapt with the changing environment. So I think more needs to be done. What would be ideal in terms of the, the COP26 in Glasgow for us to move into the right direction? Because one of the questions that came through was, why are we on the 26th climate meeting, 
But then there seems to be more talks, but very little action. What would be the ideal outcome for this Glasgow for us to actually make a move and say, finally, we are walking the talk? Well, I think uh, to some extent, I do feel from our side, we are representing the most vulnerable communities of the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe I feel that we are not the right messengers, you know, mm-hmm. because we have a responsibility to make it clear that, you know, millions are, we are representing millions of people who are really affected by climate change. But is it happening? To be honest, let's look ourselves, you know, so dedication from our side. Uh, people are going for sake of really attending the meetings. Mm-hmm. So we governments need to be strong enough. What have you done? Mm-hmm. Have you really, really passed the message from the most vulnerable communities in your country? So strong, committed uh, uh, leadership is required in this regard. Mm-hmm. Because we, we we have been dictated by the agenda, set agenda. So uh, if we are just going for the sake of traveling, I don't think that will bring anything for our countries. So asking ourselves, where are our delegates? How are they really uh, engaging the process? So every country needs to ask, are they reporting to the government? What are they reporting? What have they done? This is from our side. And from the global side, I'm like, it's more broader, you know? It's not an easy task to to really negotiate with nearly 200 parties. Yeah. Even negotiation between two people sometimes takes days, you know. So yeah. now the agenda becomes complex and very wide and the delegates are very huge in number. So uh, it's to make a compromised position, uh, agreements, it's not an easy task. Because, as I said earlier, it's not just pure science, you know. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, could have been solved within one, one night, you know. This yeah. It has a lot of issues, you know, comparativity. What does country A is doing when I'm doing this? Because we have a, dra- a trade deal, competition in trade. And there is the dominance, politics, you know, technology, and so on. So, uh, a lot of issues in it. That's why things were getting slow and slow. But now I believe that U.S. is on board. So for us bigger countries, uh, the you know the level of comparativity has gone down. So now it's a matter of increasing ambition. You know it's because every party is on board now. So I do believe uh, still it is not the end of the everything. But major issues are expected to be addressed during this call. Yeah. Fantastic. And actually, the US being the second largest emitter, being on board and um, also giving their commitments and public. One of the things that is very important is just not only submitting these commitments, but also following through in terms of implementing them. And going back into the continent, we have, uh, over the years, we've always relied on technologies from different other parts of the world, especially even look at what's happening in the renewables. And we've seen a lot of um, and, and earlier on the show, you mentioned about African continent becoming the dumping site for these technologies. We've seen a lot of 
uh, small solars, especially coming from you know China and everything, and you know dumping, and also different over the years we've seen computers for schools that um, were technologies that are almost actually obsolete and dumped within in this particular part of the region. I'm wondering in terms of moving forward as we implement our indexes, there's a lot of technology that is required, but we have a vast population of young people who um, in our universities and we have a lot of manpower. But I'm wondering in terms of going back to our indigenous knowledge and probably looking into our own within ourselves, technologies that we can actually um, fund and probably implementing technologies that are homemade and technologies that they're not going to be so costly that we rely on so much on developed nations, but also looking back at home. What can we do, the whole youthful population, and that we can actually probably even looking into how do we provide jobs for this particular people? How can we make sure, as we implement our NDCs, that this youthful population become a resource in terms of technology? Yeah, uh, thank you, Sophie. I think this is a very critical question. I'm like, I feel sorry when I hear repeatedly from delegates, like, we don't have capacity. Uh, we need technology. So still, it's a one-way kind of, you know, ask, which we are always uh, talking about. But do we really know our capacity uh, on the ground? Because negotiators are from one sector or whatever. So I, I can't, I'm not sure whether they you know the full picture of their continent or their country. So that way, if we still want to be a recipient, I don't think that will achieve that. If we want, to, we need to create green jobs. We need to know, because we have universities, research centers, how we can best use of this, how we can really make them to, uh, by mainstreaming climate agenda into their curriculum, because, you know, they have the technology, how they can be smart enough. Then we need to incubate the technologies which are coming at home so that we can easily scale it out. That way uh, we can easily create jobs, green jobs. But if we still want to buy whatever has been really produced somewhere, then I don't think that uh, Africa will be in the right direction. So think home, while what we can do, how we can do it. Because I don't think that it's an abstract science. Whatever has been done somewhere, we can do it. That should be uh, you know, logo, which we need to really uh, promote with. So, uh, I think in terms of technology, I see some encouraging results in universities and research centers in different countries within Africa. Why not we just scale it out and support those uh, who are really innovating new technologies? That should be the way. Otherwise, if for nearly a billion population in Africa, if we are really thinking of buying technologies, forever we will not be getting out of poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Gabriel, thank you so, so much for taking time. What is your final word? Well, uh, I'm optimistic. I expect things will go in the right direction because of different reasons. Uh, Technology is one thing. And the other issue is now the world has been hit by different force measures, including COVID, climate change, and so on. And I do believe that the world has now understood that uh, we need to act now. And that's why everybody's now on board. Uh, so uh, we will manage to really comply with what we have agreed in Paris. And uh, of course, that's not the, that's just the beginning. And uh, more action ha- is to be done 
uh, globally. So for that, the, the uh, leadership at the global level is very crucial and Africa should not be left out. So we need to be on board across and we need to, not only in the, on the talks, or both on action on the ground. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much, Gabriel. I appreciate your time. And that was Gabriel Jamba from the Global Green Growth Institute and a former least developed country chair. Much political will is required internationally and locally for nations to reduce global temperatures rising with every decade. Join me again next Tuesday. And remember, we are two weeks away from COP26. Thank you so much for sending your questions. Keep them coming using info at africaclimateconversations.com. And please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. But until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Moko. Inaindeshwa na Afriboards.